G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. On tonight's episode, we have Dylan Smith, aka Wilder Life. How you going, mate? I'm good, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, good. Thank you very much for coming on last minute. Um, I messaged you an hour ago, um, seeing if you were free and available for to do a podcast since the um, guest I had lined up bowed last minute, so I was in a bit of a rush. Uh, it's all good, mate. Um, thanks for asking to have me on. Ah, it's all good. I've had you on the list for a while and I'm just going through through my list and I'm like, who's online? Who can I message? <laughs> it's just one of those things, hosting a podcast, you know, things pop up, whether it's for me or the guest and you have to just rearrange stuff constantly last minute. But it, it always seems to work out, work out well. You know, we've got a great hunting community in Australia. So, you know, we've got lots of guys that love to talk hunting and fishing so it's always easy enough to reach out to someone <laughs> yeah definitely so for people who don't know you where are you from man uh at the moment i live in armadale new south wales i was actually born in armadale but i've only lived here um the last few years maybe four or five years um so but yeah so sort of originally based around that northern new south wales area yeah, beautiful. Um, and the hunting and fishing up is really good, so that's why I decided to come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, judging from your, your photos, it uh, looks like an insane area. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty well got everything that you that an outdoorsman would need for the most part. Um, so when the opportunity came up to, to move back to this area, um, I jumped at it and it's been great ever since. Yeah, I don't, don't blame you, that's for sure. So how did you get into hunting and fishing? Mate, I, um, my dad was a hunter before, um, he had us boys like our family. Um, but, uh, mainly what we did as kids was go fishing. Dad's a keen fisherman. Um, dad's got a, a hard body fishing lure company. So that, that's basically all we did. Yes. Yeah, um, and I didn't get into hunting until I'd, I guess like sort of halfway through doing my teaching degree when uh, I don't know my brothers and I just decided we'd get our firearms licenses and start hunting. So it was always something that we were into. We just never did it much besides the odd trip here and there with mates. Uh, but it hasn't, it wasn't really like um, this big step for us to take as, as young fellas to become hunters because we'd spent so much time in the bush yeah. as fishermen. Anyway, it was just like a, it really was just a natural progression um, and it just feels like I've been doing it my whole life really. Yeah. It's a very easy transition too, from, from hunting to fishing or, you know, it's, it's, it's not often that someone goes from hunting to fishing, but it's more, you know, fishing to the hunting side of things. So it's a pretty, pretty natural flow yeah, and easy yeah. transition, which is great. Definitely. So when did you pick up a bow? Um, 
I think I bought my first compound bow in might have been early 2018. I bought a, a Matthews no cam off a bloke that didn't live. Um, he lived not too far from from where I was living at the time. I sort of got put onto him by another mate. Um, so that was my first bow, um, and I, I blew it up within <laughs> uh, a year or two of owning it. It was just a stupid dry fire accident, like. I didn't accidentally, uh, I didn't intentionally dry fire it. Like I just kind of pulled it back and was looking at something and accidentally let it go. But oh no! <laughs> oh, so I had that for a better, yeah, it wasn't, it was in a classroom um, with a bunch of kids watching me too, which was good fun. But, um, <laughs> nice yeah, and embarrassing. I, had, I owned that for, yeah, I had that for maybe 12 months. Um, and after that blew up, I, that's when I picked up the trad bows. Um, so yeah, I think I've only been bow hunting really for maybe, It'd be six years at the most. Yeah, beautiful. That's you've uh, definitely come a long way in those six years. That's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I try to. I mean, it is, it's a massive struggle with those um, those trad bows. But yeah, I've. It's just it's. I originally picked up the bow just because I felt like I wanted something different because I had such good access and um, I just wanted to. It wasn't so much just to challenge myself. I've just always liked the idea of shooting a bow. Um, but in those, in that first year of picking up the trad bows, I really got, um, I guess just inspired by the trad bows themselves. And I've really, um, become a student of archery, I guess you could say with trad bows and with compound bows the last couple of years. Um, I don't, I don't really rate myself that much as a shot or a a hunter or anything, but, um, doing everything I can to be the best I can be. And I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like I'm doing okay. Got plenty of more things to work on, obviously, but every bow hunter's probably in the same boat in that regard. Oh, that's it, man. And it um, it's constantly changing. You know, you like you said, you've just uh, had a had a young son born, and all of that gets in the way of getting out there too. So things get put on the back burner. You yeah. know, I I've put down the bow quite a bit and grab the rifle just because it's you know i get a morning here and there out i'm just like oh, i'll take the rifle today just to get some meat <laughs> oh yeah you know and i i mean i still enjoy my rifles i don't enjoy them anywhere near as much as my bows but in terms of my my family they definitely have a place because we try to live off wild game as much as possible um and it's like a, a joke in in my household i've mentioned a few places before that my wife um Every now and then, if I'm heading out with a bow, she's onto me. Um, if I've been away a few times and haven't brought any meat back <laughs> because I suck, <laughs> and I, t- I say, "Well, look, I can take a rifle. That's fine, but you may as well come out with me, and you can shoot something with a rifle. I'd rather see you shoot something." So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I still, I don't know. I've still been able to shoot my bow a fair bit since my boy was born. Um, but some of the things are slowing down. They will slow down a little bit, which is fine because give it a few years and he'll start coming with me, which would be cool. Oh, not even a few years. Um, check out one of those. Um, well, that's uh, what, what are they? Kathmandu baby carriers. Um, I started taking yeah, my got, youngest um, out when he was six months, six months old, I reckon. Started carrying him out and that and yeah. just checking trail cameras. <laughs> yeah, I bought, a, um, I bought one of those. Uh, it's a wilderness equipment backpack with the baby carrier in it uh, i bought that off marketplace a few months ago just off some people in town here and um i anticipate having him on my back um during the rut next year or 
for a lot of the rut next year, depending on the way it pans out for me. Um, <laughs> but even, yeah, like I said, next in give it a few months, as soon as he can hold his head up and maybe the heat doesn't knock him around too much, he'll be out with me definitely checking out some trail cameras and maybe trying to catch a few fish, see how we go. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's great fun getting them out there, you know, even if you don't don't see anything as they start getting a bit older. My youngest is three and a half, so, he, you know, now he's not in the backpack and he just wanders along behind me and, you know, picking up sticks and throwing rocks and, you know, entertains himself ways out there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so it's cool, man. Nice. What was your first game taken with a bow? So you've gone from compound to recurve. What was the, the first game taken with each? Um, I took a I took a pretty decent ball with my compound. Um I don't know why I was I was once I first picked up the when I first picked up the bows, I was treating them much more like a trophy hunt, I guess you could say. Yeah. In in a sense that um I'd sort of tried plenty of stalks where I could have shot younger goats or younger pigs, but I really liked the idea of um, trying to sort of challenge myself to take out the most mature animal in a mob. And I was chasing some fallow around in the rut and uh, had an unsuccessful morning. And on my way back to the car, there was a mob of pigs, um, like with a really good boar sort of making his way to all the sows. So I shot him with my compound bow um, took a few more pigs with that before I picked up the trad bow. And then my first animal with the trad bow was a billy goat right in the height of the, um, the drought. I think it was November, 2019, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And that was like, that's still one of the best stalks I've done. Uh, I got it all on, on video. And again, I had lots of opportunities at other smaller goats in the months leading up to that. And, um, I'd had a few failed opportunities at, other decent boars. Um, but since I've got those first couple, um, yeah, I've been whacking lots of stuff left and right, um, but still trying to challenge myself to take out the more mature animals and the mobs, that sort of thing. That's some uh, s- severe dedication, that's for sure. You know, when I've gone out with the struggle stick, you know, first first goat that walks it, <laughs> walks in uh, bow range tends to copper cop an arrow. <laughs> but my, um, yeah. my area is not yeah. as game rich as your area by the sounds of it <laughs> oh yeah i'm like again that's that's part of um i'm very lucky some of the spots i've got access to there like there's just game everywhere and i don't take it for granted at all you know i really appreciate the access and the opportunities that i have um, but it does allow me to yeah i guess sit back and um and just sort of take the whole thing in a little bit more than uh what others might you know i think about that a bit actually when it comes to like being a rifle hunter and, and picking up a bow, some of these guys I'll see on the net, uh, you know, they don't, I'm very lucky with how much I get to hunt and my access, you know, like yeah. they might only have public land access in New South Wales, which is still, you know, heaps better than no access in other states, for That's example. It. But it's just, uh, I, I just can't imagine how difficult it would be or the ups and downs those guys would experience if they're going out for a weekend and they're hoping to, just get eyes on something, you know, like when I go out, I pretty well know I'm going to see a bunch of stuff. Um, it just depends what I decide to do or what happens between seeing the critters and me getting close enough is what's, you know, what sort of hangs in the balance, I guess you could say, but man, yeah, some of these guys really have to have to struggle for a long time to, to get something. Oh, that's it, man. Um, you know, the properties down here in South Australia, like I've got one property that's, 
four goats and you're only going to see goats on there. You might see the odd fox and then my deer properties, you're only pretty much going to see a couple of deer Yeah, and then, you know, rabbits, hares, foxes. You're not going to run into, you know, goats or pigs or, you know, you know that there's only fallow in the area. Yeah, so right you're not going to run into reds or anything like that. So you've just got like a property for one target. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, right. You boys in New South yeah, well, Wales. It's, it's a little bit, oh, well, yeah, similar and different. Like I've got I've got some spots that are better for some animals than others, but um, a lot of my spots, uh, if I go there, I'm expecting to see fallow and pigs usually. Yeah. Um, and opportunities to goats on, on some of those places as well. And those places, if they haven't got, you know, quite as many goats as others, um, a place I've been hunting a fair bit recently that belongs to a friend of mine. Um, it's a question of, you know, how many dozens of goats you might see every morning. And that's where we've been getting a few runs on the board with the bows at the moment, just to, to build the confidence up in the lead up to the um, fallow rut. And uh, yeah, it, it, it makes it good fun with the trad bow because you've just got so many opportunities for stalks. You can basically stalk as many, as many goats as you want, depending on the weather and how much you feel like being out, you know? That's it. That's it. And it's bloody good eating too. So it's, it's good to feel the freezer. Do you, um, Oh yeah. Eat the old, older billies you take or you're shooting younger, younger billies and, you know, nannies for meat or you just, just eating everything. Yeah. I don't, I don't really eat the older billies. Most of the older ones we've been shooting lately, like we've just been giving them to my mate's dogs. So not many of them go to waste. Yeah. Um, I have eaten, some billies, you wouldn't say they were older billies, but they were much more mature than the typical meat animal that I might go after. Um, but like I've, I've eaten some pretty old boars. I've eaten some very old fallow bucks. Um, so I'm not, uh, um, you know, both me and my wife, we're not that worried about something that's a little bit, uh, you know, more rank than uh, a nice yielding animal. But yeah, I just can't come at those, those older billy goats. There was one I... I'd minced it up and I was cooking the mince in a fry pan and it, I don't know, the smell just went through the kitchen and <laughs> it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, those those older billies, yeah. there's just something about them, you know. They, they just get to that certain there certain is. age and you just, yeah, you struggle to eat them. You know, some guys do, yeah. but um, yeah, like fallow, I haven't, I've seen maybe two fallow and that's like post-rut, uh, yeah, post-rut where they've like just completely worn themselves down to skin and bone that I haven't been able to eat. But, yeah, that's it. I've seen that's only two of them. The rest of them have been yeah. perfect to eat. With uh, the pigs... Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's... Like a, um, I'm not sure whether it's it's actually something about the goat itself or whether it's just, you know, like an idea that, that we all have in our heads. Like, it, it seems weird to me to even say that... I'm happy to eat an older pig or an older deer, but not an older goat. But yeah, um, like when I've got the smell of a pig or the smell of a ruddy buck, when I'm cooking it, I'm not, I don't know, it just doesn't put me off that much. And if, you know, push came to shove, I'd absolutely eat an old billy goat, but I'm just not that hard up for a feed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's it. With the uh, pigs, um, what are you doing to check over them? Are you checking um, liver and lungs and stuff like that? Or diseases and how how much does that work? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Like we're not. I'm not an expert at this stuff by any means, but get a reasonable idea by having a look at the overall condition of the animal. Yeah. 
lungs, liver, that sort of thing. Um, pigs are interesting in that, um, I don't know, I guess their condition over the course of 12 months fluctuates a lot more than the deer, certainly the deer in my area. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's more just a decision I make uh, on a pig by pig basis. I'm quite happy to eat most of them, but if I shoot some rank old boar and I don't really need them to eat that bad, then I'll leave it. Um, yeah. A lot of them, if they've been rolling it in a bunch of crap, um, I'm sure like the meat itself would be okay, but I just don't really want to get my hands all over them for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it's not obvious reasons. It's just, you know, so much bacteria and whatever. And, um, but having said that, um, you know, a couple of years ago when the season was really, really good, um, I was finding sows with quite a few half-grown suckers with them and uh, we just shoot a lot of these suckers and they were just phenomenal eating. Oh, uh, really, really I good. I can eating. imagine bacon um, seeds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just, I like just, uh, I mean, any any animal that's only a couple of months old is going to be tender anyway, you know. But um, I know, like I said, it's just that their condition fluctuates so much based on the season and the fact they can have so many, you know, uh, so many more young per year than other animals. Um, so it's just, yeah, a case by case basis, but. Anything that looks unhealthy or where the liver's a bit odd looking, we tend to leave it alone. Have you uh, found worms and stuff in the meat and when you've been cutting them up before with the with the pigs or just because the condition's pretty good uh, in your area, you're not really coming across that type of... Yeah, not in the meat. Definitely um, had pigs where there's been worms and stuff in their guts uh, and I, I've left those ones. Yeah. I'm not... Uh, educated enough on that stuff to know whether it would be safe or not. I imagine if, you know, like, as again, if you cook the meat well done, it's probably okay. And something I come back to fairly often when I think about this stuff is um, for years we've been exporting, you know, pigs overseas for people to eat. And although, uh, you know, the, pro, uh, the, the game harvesters are leaving lungs, liver and heart in the carcass for inspection, they're obviously leaving stomach intestines and those sorts of things in the paddock so yeah. even if the intestines were full of worms the inspector at the um processing plant's not going to see that anyway uh so i guess it's just one of those things where you, you cook it pretty well you may be safe but we don't we don't tend to take too many risks with it really because like i said we don't we don't really care enough <laughs> like yeah um uh, yeah we i mean we've got plenty of wild game to feed ourselves and feed plenty of our friends and family and um there's just no need to to eat a pig that is appearing risky in any way yeah that's that's one thing i'm extremely jealous of of you guys in new south wales is just the amount of pigs that are around you know i know it's not great for farmers but being down here in south australia there's you know next to no pigs you know there used to be a decent um decent numbers on kangaroo island and i've done yeah three or four hunting trips down there with one of my mates who has access and never found a live one found plenty of dead ones but (laughs) yeah right and you know yeah it's interesting now like there's plenty of them like um come out of these last couple of wet years and it's really dried up again now so they're not hard to find and uh i think really pigs are, are probably my favorite animal to chase for the most part like it's um i mean you can't beat the fallow rut for me but in terms of just like a 
a week to week basis, the thing I like to do the most is probably chase pigs around because you, you don't really, I don't know, it might sound bad to say, but you're not really concerned with how many you might kill. Like a farmer's yeah. always happy to hear that you've killed quite a lot of them. And um, it is a really good challenge to take the most mature boar out of a mob, you know, after a really good stalk or whatever. But in terms of what's easier hunting, I, I mean, I've got just as much respect for a huge boar as I do for a big buck or a big billy or whatever, but um, stalking just some, you know, everyday run of the mill mob pigs with a bow is much easier than stalking a mob of fallow does, for example. So it's, yeah, if you just want a nice, uh, wouldn't say easy, but a little bit lower stakes hunt, the pigs are really good fun. Oh, I could imagine, you know, I, I get people like Cody sending me just pictures and videos of him slaying hogs left, right and centre while he's working around the farms. And I'm just yeah. like, you're a bastard. <laughs> yeah. They but, are good fun. Yeah. Oh, they, they look at, um, I shot a, shot a decent sized sow when I was over in New Zealand six years ago. And that was, that was good fun. Um, that was with the rifle though. And then I got onto some pigs in Mexico um, lost a really yep. big ball with the um, with the bow, double like double shouldered him, and he just took off into the cactus. And there was no, I spent you know hours crawling through the cactus looking for him. <laughs> but yeah, no luck. Yeah, it's painful. Oh, I was I was heartbroken. You know, it's just that's it's it's funny when I started bow hunting. That's the one thing that I wanted to take with the bow, and still haven't taken one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm sure your day will come. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll get there eventually. So, speaking of your gear, what gear are you running now, um, trad wise? Uh, I've got plenty of nice trad bows here. I've got a, <laughs> a Black Widow PCH, my first nice one, and um, I've got a longbow made by Norseman Longbows. I've got a really nice um, longbow made by Eric Hoff. It's St. Patrick Lake Longbows in Minnesota called a machine stick, um, which is uh, the riser's made from G10 and you can break it apart with a bolt in the middle. That's cool. Um, I've got a Tradtech Titan ILF rig. I guess it's like Lancaster Archery in America. It's like Tradtech is their house brand, I guess. Um, yeah. So that's the one I'm shooting a lot more at the moment with some Samic Discovery limbs on it. But I'm also in the middle of... Um, building a longbow to use for some ABA comps and for hunting with my friend Colin. Um, he's got a brand called Outlaw Bows. He lives about an hour and a half north of me. Um, so we've got uh, we've got the veneers made, the limb cores cut. We've got the riser cut. I've taken um, some red iron bark from my favorite hunting property and some elm from uh, the trees I have in my yard, and we're building this bow with all those woods in it and using just um, – some hoop pine for limb cores, I think, and that's going to be around 45 pounds at my draw length, which should be light enough to use a whole weekend in the ABA comps. Yeah, so I should be able to throw a reasonably heavy arrow um, to try and shoot some animals with it as well. Yeah. What type of arrows and broadhead um, combos are you you're running out of the um, recurves? And... At the moment... Um, my favorite broadhead, well, I say favorite, I've only killed one animal with them so far, <laughs> but they're a, um, the 200 grain heads from extract broadheads. They're just a big, a big single bevel one piece head. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I love single bevel. Yeah. Like it, 
I, I know that the way single bevels cut really gets people excited and gets me excited too. But the thing I love most about single bevel is they're just the easiest to sharpen. So um, all I've done with those broadheads so far is kill a little uh, billy goat and then put one smack in the uh, ridge of the shoulder on a big fallow buck and watch him run away. But um, they're the ones I'm using at the moment. But I have used Cayuga um, pilot cuts with the wide bleeders to get them close to 200 grains. Yeah. I've used Outback broadheads a lot, which probably use them more than anything else, but you can't get them at the moment. I think Luke's going to look to start building them again soon. Um, and then arrows. Uh, at the moment, I'm using... Um, some made by a company called um, Evolution, Evolution Vantage. Um, they're pretty long, like they're, they're a little bit too stiff for the bow, but with 255 grains on the front, they work out pretty well. Yeah, sweet. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's coming out of my my um, ILF rig fairly nicely. Um, but, geez, I, I've got so many different bows with so many different arrows. But yeah, I know what that's like. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at those. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're 200... the ones I'm using. Go on. I was just saying, like, yeah, definitely those. Um, any Like, I like a 200-grain broadhead with any trad bow because I, I want my arrow to be as heavy as I can get it because, for me, the trad bow stuff's inside 20 metres, you know, um, so, so at the moment, those 200 grain heads from Extract are the ones I like the most. Yeah, I'm looking at them now. They're they're a good looking head. I might have to uh, order some. I I currently run the uh, 200 grain as Aztecs, the Tusker Aztecs, but they uh, yep, these yep. look a, a fair bit more solid than them. So I might have to uh, add, yeah, we'll add a pack of them to the there. cart. <laughs> yeah. Um. And look, they're they're actually they're not as expensive as other broadheads. Um, I don't mind paying good money for good broadheads. Yeah, that's but it. They're priced pretty well. And a friend of mine, um, he was using those heads on uh, his compound bow and shot a buffalo with him recently, which is pretty cool, like a nice heavy compound arrow, and he seemed to rate them as well. So that's yeah, good. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, there's so many Australian heads hitting the market, which is, is cool to see different people bringing in different um, designs and that yeah, I, I yeah. just got gifted a couple of um, X3 broadheads from a fella down here in Adelaide. Pretty cool looking three oh, right, eh? solid head, and yeah, they've they've yep. they've started popping up. Um, I started seeing them on Facebook maybe a year or so ago, and then yeah, went to a mate's house yeah, yesterday. Okay. I'm just oh, I see you shooting them. What are they like? And he goes, oh yeah, here you go. Here's a couple of packets. Go try them out. <laughs> yeah, nice. But yeah, there's. So many cool. Like I'm, I'm currently running the Van Demons out of the compound, and they're they're such a great head as well. It's there's so many different. The Van Demons. Yeah. Uh, they, can you you can't get them anymore though, can you? Uh, I'm pretty sure Mick Kosh is still still uh, supplying them. They were through someone yeah, else, yeah. and he's bought the business. Um, I haven't bought any for a while, but I'm pretty sure he's still um, selling them. Yeah. Cool. Which is which is good because they're they're a solid solid head. Um, what are oh, you yeah. taking out when yeah. you're going out for a day trip and that? Oh man, I um, I mean, you probably have half an idea that I really enjoy my photography stuff. So I'm usually carrying my camera and maybe a couple of lenses, some spare batteries, and a flash. Um, 
I mean, I'd, it's rare that I'd go through even one battery in one day, but I just, I don't know, I've got that little, I've just got a little um, stuff sack with that gear in there. Yeah. So I always take that. And I'll usually, depending on what I'm doing, I've got like a 12 to 40 mil lens and a 14 to 150 mil lens. So I'm usually alternating between those ones, just depending on what I'm doing. Um, I'd usually have a, a, a kit with um, at least one knife, a little, um, sharpening stone and some game bags usually carry a first aid kit um and then i don't know it could vary based on whatever i'm doing maybe uh, at least a drink bottle a tripod yeah. for my camera uh, my garmin inreach i've been carrying my inreach a lot the last few months because i hated the idea of being somewhere without reception and um kira going into labor and not being able to message me yeah yeah they're um, a handy little device but that's like yeah yeah they are but yeah i mean that's pretty much it for just a regular sort of day trip unless i i plan on doing something else um specific but that pulls me up pretty well yeah yeah beautiful um speaking about your camera gear i was chatting to cody gear on earlier like this afternoon he said uh, to ask you how to take the uh, perfect lot like how to get the perfect lighting for a trophy photo <laughs> oh man <laughs> how long it's a piece of string or like there's just so many ways um honestly like it, it yeah if um a, a flash on top of your camera really helps get a photo if you weren't going to get it otherwise yeah um the those, i shot a couple of good billies a couple of days ago and by the time i'd like i shot them both with my bow and by the time i'd recovered them both the sun was down so i um put a headlamp off to the side to get some lighting kind of coming across the scene. And then I had a flash on top of the camera to flatten out some of that light. And both those photos turned out pretty well. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, it's got to pay attention to where the sun is. Um, you know, you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to take a trophy photo with, if you've got the camera like facing into the sun, Yeah, that tends to be pretty hard to make it look good. But if you've got the sun directly behind you, then it's hard if you've got um, like the, the shadow of the photographer, in the scene um but yeah i mean i could do a whole podcast when they're <laughs> taking photos really but yeah just try to pay attention to where your light's coming from and try to do your best to not have your light directly behind you or directly in front of you have it coming a little bit across the side because a little bit of contrast made by some of the shadows of a light going across the scene is a good place to start yeah um but the other thing as well is with digital cameras just it's kind of like knots, you know, you can't tie knots, tie lots. If you can't take a photo real good, then just take a stack, try a bunch of different <laughs> things. Um, Cause you can delete all the ones that suck when you yeah, get home, it. you know, if it pay to get them developed. That's what <laughs> I do. So were you into photography before you got into hunting or is that something that's, that that's picked up afterwards or? No, I am. Um, my dad has always been a phenomenal photographer. Um, he's absolutely my photography mentor always taught me everything I know. And, um, oh, early when I was doing my degree, I had, you know, I was on holidays or whatever. And dad invited me out on just to, uh, drive around Western New South Wales, just to, just to take photos, basically just go and see some cool country. And I didn't really think I'd, um, want to pick up the camera and do much. I just thought I'd hang out, you know, and listen to music in the car and yeah. go for walks in the bush, looking for pigs and whatever. And, and again, <laughs> I, I wasn't a hunter at this stage, but I was into, into the bush. Um, but yeah, he gave me one of his old cameras and 
that trip's kind of where I learned the basics of um, how to work a camera in uh, like manual exposure mode or manual mode. Um, and since then, yeah, I've, I mean, I take a lot of photos when I'm out hunting, but I take a lot of photos of all sorts of things. Um, I, I am fairly interested in my photography and sometimes I actually think um, I have more fun leaving a bow or my rifle at home and just going out with friends of mine or with my wife and just having to worry about the camera. I find yeah. it really enjoyable. A um, little bit less, a little bit less pressure than trying to do like, you know, hunt and do the photography at the same time. Um, yeah. Credit to all those yeah, guys I mean, that, I, I that lug a camera yeah. around with them. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, especially bow hunting like it's really hard work i've filmed a couple of rifle hunts the last few months or the last 12 months i guess and it's just been so much easier than um than uh you know filming a a self-filming a bow hunt but i um like i, I just i love to look back on all my photos i love to share photos with people that i'm i'm really proud of and i think that um a really good photo of a really good animal um just helps, um, I guess, you know, represent the animal better and, and show the animal even more respect if you've taken the time to um, compose a photo that shows it off or, or shows it in the uh, correct kind of light, you know? Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. It's just, yeah, lugging all that camera equipment and, um, you know, if you're hunting pretty, you know, rocky terrain or hilly terrain, are you worried about, like, damaging something while you're out there constantly or...? You've you got it in pretty well protected yeah. cases, or yeah, I have um, yeah, I've usually got a lot of it in my pack, but I've got like this little um, clip made by Peak Designs, and I, you can put it on like a shoulder strap of a backpack and have your camera riding shotgun, and yeah. that's been really good the last you know few months. So I don't know how long I've had that thing now, but maybe twelve months, but. That's been good. I have um, dropped a camera in a river before. I had to get it sent away to get refurbished. Um, the thing, the main thing is, um, like your lenses. That if you got, if you've got good lenses that are pretty quick, there's just so much glass in them, and they're just, they're really, really heavy. I did a um, a backpack hunt for Samba with uh, my mate Profty in winter this year, and I hiked in my big lens because I was hoping to get some footage of Samba on opposite faces yeah. and it just rained the whole time. So I never got the thing out and oh, no. it was just like carrying an extra, maybe one and a half lead analgene bottle full of water, you know? So, um, it is, you know, it is a lot of commitment in that sense, but at the same time, um, I like to think that, um, you know, the rewards of having really good photos outweigh how much of a pain that is, but you, know, you can't be too precious with it. Um, but there's no doubt that some of the gear is pretty expensive. That's for sure. Oh, that's it. You know, you got the price of hunting gear and then you're lugging around, you know, a few grand in camera yep. gear as well. <laughs> yep. It could be pretty nerve wracking. But moving on a bit, what would be your top beginner tip for someone getting into bow hunting? Beginner tip for someone getting into bow hunting specifically. Um, are you talking like compound or trad? Oh, either, either. You're you're right down the trad rabbit hole at the moment, yeah. so yeah, let's go let's go trad <laughs> trad trad gear. Um, okay, with trad, I'd, I know it's difficult in Australia because a lot of us bow hunters, in a lot of ways, are few and far between. But as early as possible, try and get um, whether it be some kind of formal coaching, or you find some people 
um, on Instagram uh, <laughs> that that have half an idea, whatever it is, but get someone who can just who can you know half coach you even just by sending videos back and forth to each other, um, and specific especially with trad because um, it's obviously so much harder than a compound uh, in a variety of ways, but um, one of the risks with trad besides the fact that you might develop some shot anticipation or target panicky kind of issues. If you start going down it the wrong way is um, if you're drawing your bow incorrectly, uh, there's a risk of injury to yourself. If your bow is a little bit too heavy for you with a compound, you can kind of um, incorrectly draw them and, and muscle your way through it. And once you get to full draw, you can kind of relax yeah. a little bit and think about your shot. Whereas with a trad bow, um, the most poundage on your fingers is when you get to full draw and often um, that leads to people wanting to let the arrow go really quickly and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, as uh, I know it's difficult in Australia, like I said, Tom Clum um, has a really good online course. You can access it on uh, a website called the push archery or the push archery center of knowledge or something. But um, I think it's about 200 American dollars, but if you're just, you know, Joe Blow, and you haven't got anyone who trad bow hunts near you or shoots trad bows well near you, that would be one of the best things you could do to get that course. Yeah, sweet. That's a that's a good good bit of advice. What about top five items for a beginner just getting into hunting in general? Something that they, you know, five items that they should have. Five items you should have. Um it's pretty hard to go past a good knife, I think. I mean, I've got stacks of really, really good knives, um, and they don't all have to be expensive. Like you can, you know, you can pick up an old um, Dexter Russell or a Victorinox, um, or even like a Victory hunting knife, and not much money, and it'll, you know, do you a lifetime's worth of hunting. So a good knife, particularly, you know, if you're into hunting for meat and stuff, then yeah, a good knife, and I guess you could extrapolate that a little bit more and. Um, potentially include things like a butcher steel and yeah. things you, you might use to keep that sharp because um, oh, no, I'd hate using blunt knives. Um, it's just frustrating. Don't we all? <laughs> uh, so we'll call that. Yeah, well, it's, it's the thing is too, like if you, if you don't have a great deal of experience, um, you might think your knife is sharp and it's just not, you know, and I've been out with blokes where you know, they talk about how they've they've got this knife, it's nice and sharp, and you watch them trying to do something where the skin's a little bit springy, like cutting the um, anus out of a, a deer or something, and it's just, man, if you had that thing sharp, you would be, you know, you, you'd actually enjoy yourself a lot more. You know? <laughs> um, now, I, I know it's probably a pretty predictable answer, but a good pair of boots, um, it's, I hunted for a long time in, in crappy boots and I'm talking like blue steel, steel cap boots and then elastic sided blunt stones and <laughs> all sorts of dumb stuff. I just didn't think, I just didn't think about it that much, but some of the country I used to hunt, um, I'd need to take, like I'd hunt all day and then I'd take a day's rest and then I'd hunt the next day just because my feet would be Please. busted. And it wasn't until I invested decent money in decent boots and you don't have to spend hundreds and hundreds but man like it's a, a pretty reasonable pair of boots just enables you to um, hunt a lot more confidently but also hunt a lot longer because your feet aren't busted sort of i got a knife and boots um a decent backpack uh, if you're planning on carrying out meat um 
there are so many good backpacks out there. Like I've used and abused the absolute hell out of an XO 5,500. Um, I've also got a, a good Kafaru reckoning at the moment and um, Spiker on like a little bit more affordable option uh, are making some good frames with packs. But um, I used to hike out meat with a backpack that didn't have a good frame in it. Yeah. So all the weight would be on my shoulders and the bag would collapse. And it was, you know, you'd be buckled carrying out just one, small goat whereas um if you've got a, a pack with a strong enough frame uh it's not like it makes it easy but it makes it a lot more comfortable and you know looks after your shoulders and your hips and your body a lot better as well that's it um i just hate the idea of struggling to carry out meat with with a with a crappy bag nowadays it's just, <laughs> i haven't got time for it you know it's pointless. Oh, it, it hurts thinking about it <laughs> yeah um, so what I've got to do two more, I would say, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do in this sense, it took me forever to do this, but if you haven't got a Garmin in reach, um, one of those GME or, um, one of the, that's another brand. I think that those yellow PLBs, yeah. I used to, um, I used to hike into some pretty insane country by myself a lot, uh, with no phone reception and I wouldn't have been any more than a few kilometers as the crow flies from the farmhouse but if i fell and hurt myself or got bitten by a snake or anything in this country um it would have been a nightmare to get out of there so um i know that plenty of us especially when we're a little bit younger you know you think you're invincible i still kind of do think i'm invincible but uh, for the sake of a couple hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks um and uh, i think the batteries in these plbs last about 10 years yeah just get one like and just leave it in your yeah, just leave it in your pack. Um, uh, you know, again, when I was single, I didn't care about it as much. And then when I met my wife, I cared about it a little bit more. And now I've got a son, I think about it a lot more and just being able to press a button if you get in trouble. And again, it doesn't have to be the most remote backcountry ever. It could just be you're in some gully, you've got no phone reception. And uh, if you can't get a message out, it could get pretty ordinary pretty quick. Um should you carry one of them by any chance, man? Yeah, I've uh, got the PLB. Um, I've had that, yeah. you know, um, when I was younger, my parents were pretty pretty um, keen on me to carry one with me. So I got one for a birthday or a Christmas and, you know, mum insisted that yeah. I carried that with me everywhere I went when I went out hunting <laughs> for that whole that yep. whole thing. Um, and then, yeah, started this, started this year, ended last year, I got myself a Garmin InReach um for snake yep. island and new zealand and it just yeah it was incredible to to be able to reach out to home you know being in the back country in new zealand and being able to get messages oh, yeah. across um handy bit of kit that's yep. for sure and then yeah, yeah. i've mentioned it i before. don't find myself like you go on you go but you're right. um i was gonna say like i don't i don't find myself like missing home and 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 wanting to get off the mountain per se um but it's it is really nice to be able to message home just to be able to say, hey, yep, I'm all good, you know. Um, like, and I can and I can send that message to my wife as well as you know my parents or whoever just with one click. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, so it's it's not so much about wanting to, you know, oh, I miss my wife. I mean, I miss my wife, but it's not so much about um, 
yeah, wanting to have good yarns and, you know, ask what's going on on the Instagram feed or whatever. It's just really nice to be able to maintain that connection, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. It's just being able to check in, you know. You've got the pre-made messages that you can send. You can make your own pre-made messages. And then if you need to type something out yep. a little bit longer, you know. Well, I was in New Zealand and Snake Island. It was just like, a, you know, a message in the morning saying I'm heading out, message lunch lunchtime, yep. message in the afternoon saying I'm back, you know, everything's all good. But yeah, that's yeah. a definitely a handy bit of kit, and they're just the inreaches are tiny. You know, you just hang them off your, yeah. your bino case, yeah. like your your bino harness, and you don't even notice it's there. Yep. You just have it on, and yeah. yeah, the amount of stories yeah. I've heard that they've uh, saved people's lives and got them out of some sticky situations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I've got one more left. I mean, I'd love to say first aid kit, but I don't know. It's probably a no-brainer. So I think in terms of oh, You'd be surprised hunting, I'm say, how many people don't take a first aid kit out with them, the amount of people I've oh, spoken to. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, you know, some of the stuff in my first aid kit is probably a bit crusty and needs replacing, but even just having like some alcohol wipes and um, some bandages and some Band-Aids even, like it's it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a really serious accident for something to like, I remember I was um, doing a stupid thing. I was trying to sharpen a knife while holding like two knives in my hand and I, and I raked a knife straight over a knuckle one time. Oh, no. and, um, it, it was just dumb. I get it. But you know, I, I, I was able to just wipe it down with a bit of alcohol swab and put a couple of band-aids on there and it was fine. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I was never going to lose my finger. It was never going to, you know, be the end of the world, but it was a point where I could be like, right, yeah, I can still hunt the rest of the day here as opposed to, oh, I better wrap my shirt and, you know, hand in my shirt and get the hell out of here. Um, but, you know, it, it, like I said, I reckon it's too predictable of an answer. So I'm going to go with a um, binos and a bino harness. And uh, it's funny, like, I mean, you can spend huge money on binos, but for years and years, I ran the cheapest set of Vortex binoculars you could get. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I never thought about how important they were until I had some. And then all of a sudden, I just see a whole bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise. So uh, I'd say within reason, uh, it doesn't even matter whether they're super good ones or not. Just have a set of, you know, half-decent binos and a bino harness because I'm always on the binos. Oh, they're, they're a game changer. Having a, you know, somewhat decent pair of binos are just like compared a cheap Absolutely. pair of binos compared to a decent pair of binos it's crazy how much difference it picks up it's yeah oh yeah and Absolutely. then even the bino harness like you said that's that's been an absolute game changer as well like having to you oh, know, yeah. carry them yeah. in hands um you know carry them in your backpack all of that type of stuff there was a few like a bino spider which was like elastic cable that you just you know put around your shoulders and you just had like the binos bouncing up and down in front of you. Um, compared to that yeah. stuff. the I've never the, used one of those. Yeah. I, I got one sent out ages, ages ago, probably just before bino harnesses started being an, a, a thing. And it was great at the time, yeah, right but then compared to a bino harness, it's, it's, they're just a game changer being able to, you know, put your EPIRB or your, um, your Garmin in reach, Put your phone, put a knife. Yeah, you know. that's right. Um, yeah, I, I carry knives in mine if I, I need put, to put a uh, backpack down. Like just in my one at the moment, I've got, yeah, I've got, uh, I've usually got like a, 
whatever you call it, like the, that smoke, like the thing, that, a wind checker, yep. a fox whistle, in reach, um, a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a buff or like a, a thing to put over my face once I start getting close and uh, my release aid. I've normally got all those in my bino harness. You know, it's just super handy. Yeah, I've got, yeah, wind checker, a lighter that I use for a wind checker when it's, you know, too dark to be able to see the smoke. Um, that comes in handy. And then, um, yeah, f- like you said, fox whistles. I think I've got three or four different fox whistles plus uh, the um, yeah. that Samba call as well. Um, oh, what are they? The Flexmark oh, yeah, Samba yeah. call. Because um, Fallow yeah. respond to them fairly well too. I'm not sure about Reds, but, yeah, the Fallow seem to respond really well with them. Yeah, I've only ever put my flex mark in my bino harness when I've been in Victoria, but uh, I might take it out the next couple of times. I chase them does and just see what they what they do. It can't hurt. Yeah, it's getting to that time of year. Um, you know, December they start they start dropping yeah. fawns around here. What What about yeah. you? About same same over there. Yeah, mate. Look, I I've actually had a yarn with a few mates of mine about this, and oh, like. It's all just opinion, really, or theory. But, um, like, yeah, most of the time I see them, like, sort of around late November and December. But the last couple of years, I've been picking up really young fawns on my game cameras right up into early February. And I'm just, I don't know whether it's, like, I sort of speculated maybe some of the doe cycles got thrown way out of whack in the drought and it's taken a bit long to catch up or whether there's just so many deer that, they get missed um, in the in the first wave of the rut, and they get bred, you know, in the next round or the next round. Because I have heard, um, I mean, this isn't normal, but I have heard bucks croaking um, at one of my main spots in July before. So that obviously means there's some doe that's cycling at that time. So if she gets bred in July, she's obviously going to have a fawn, you know, a few months after when most of them drop. So. Yeah, I don't know what the reason is, but um, certainly I'd expect to start seeing him pretty soon. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, man, I'm seeing some really young ones a lot. It's funny you say that because the last couple of years I've, you know, picked up a few few young fawns, you know, um, late February, even up to March. Um, you're seeing some real tiny, yeah, right. tiny fawns. And yeah, from what I've heard, you know, it's if a doe's been missed or you know that hasn't taken she'll go she'll keep cycling till she till she gets pregnant so but that's that's yep. just what i've heard so but yeah <laughs> you know what it's like in the deer world everyone has their own opinions and thoughts why why these things happen yeah that's right and there's yeah. you know second third fourth ruts <laughs> yeah yep so what about zombie apocalypse weapon what would you be going Man, I um, yeah. When I hear you ask the people on this podcast, <laughs> I I've never really given a huge amount of thought to what I would like. But um, part of it would be for zombie apocalypse, and part of it would just be because I'd like to have one and I can't have one. But I reckon maybe like a a semi-automatic twenty-two, like a Ruger ten twenty-two or something. Yeah. Um, just because, uh, you know, I could carry a lot more, like many more rounds, the same amount of weight compared to something like a you know, Springfield um, M1A or an M14 or something. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, you like to think you could just pump them all <laughs> in the head with the 22 and it'd be fine. But maybe something with a bit more power would be more useful. But I still like the idea of a 1022 for sure. 
Oh, that'd be so much fun. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I've been leaning towards in that answer for a while now is is the 1022 because <laughs> you can carry so yeah. many around. It would be cool to have yeah, like a 1022 right. chambered in like 22 Hornet <laughs> just to give it a bit more oomph. Yeah, yeah, maybe even like a um, yeah 17 HMR maybe. I, mean, I don't even know if they make them in a 17 or a 22 mag or whatever, but... I just like to own one, you know. I hate the fact that I can't own one. I oh. could probably work a few things around my property to be able to get <laughs> one, but I don't feel like trying that hard. I I hate the fact that I can have a yeah, like a, a lever action thirty thirty or a three hundred wind mag, um, but a Ruger ten twenty two is scarier, so I can't have one. That just bothers me. Oh, trust me, uh, Australian gun laws do not make any sense, and especially with all this shit going on over in Western Australia at the moment, it's just yeah. an absolute yep. nightmare. And uh, yeah, hopefully, yep. we we just had a shooting here in South Australia. A couple cop, a couple police got shot, unfortunately, and hopefully the yeah, gun sucks. laws don't change up here. Following in the, um, you know, in the. Uh, wake of that going towards more Western Australia style, which will be scary to see what comes out out of that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. Couple bad egg, eggs re- <laughs> wreck it for everyone else. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I, like I understand that people made these laws and they're trying to do a good job and, you know, they believe they've got the interest of public safety at heart and all the rest of it, but I, I just... I guess it's, I think it's something mentally with me or maybe in my personality, like have a really hard time with hypocritical stuff in that space. Yeah. You know, so, and I mean, I don't want to go on a, on a massive <laughs> rant about it, but yes, yeah, just like, I, like I can understand like, yeah, you want to have some kind of restriction. I understand that you might want to justify in that sense, but it's just like, if you open up my safe, the stuff in there is just got way more bang than a 1022. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh, it's, like even our appearance laws, you can't have some, like I'm not sure if you guys have appearance yeah. laws over there, but, you know, SA, we've got appearance laws. You can't have stuff that looks like something that's too scary and it just blows my mind. Nah, and then you chat to Americans about yeah. it and they just, just laugh. <laughs> it's almost uh, it's almost embarrassing really when you talk about it like that. Like, and uh, you haven't got the same thing for cars, you know, like if a car looks like it can go really fast, but it can't go really fast. No one cares. It's, it's funny. You mentioned that I actually seen some video, apparently South Australia is bringing in a license for like power to weight ratio in cars. So <laughs> certain, certain, yeah, right. certain cars will have to have a different license due to the power and weight of the, the car. I haven't oh, looked geez. into it. I'm not a car guy, but I kind of laughed. I'm like, well, welcome to the club, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, it blows my mind on those types of things. But let's move on to something a bit bit funnier. What have you forgotten on a hunting trip? Oh, I've done the I've done the old, like, you know, forgot the ammo and those kind of things, but everyone does it at some point. But I've one... <laughs> I did drive down uh, where I used to live out in Western New South Wales. I went into Victoria for a weekend to chase Samber and I left like my entire camping box with my little gas stove and <laughs> saucepans and whatever in it. Um, and I always, I'm always reminded of that because um, there was just some camping shop in Coryong. I went in there and bought a fairly cheap cast iron pan. Um, and to this day I use that pan 
yeah, daily in my kitchen. Uh, <laughs> it's been a cracker. Um, and I, I've probably, oh God, I've probably owned that thing for about eight years now. It's fantastic. Um, How good is cast iron? Yeah, but it? I, <laughs> oh man, cast iron and carbon steel, like I just froth on it. Like, um, yeah, I, oh, I can't see myself ever owning a piece of nonstick cookware again, you know, <laughs> with the exception, I've been building a new slow cooker the other day. It's got a, like a nonstick coating on the bloody pot inside of it. Yeah, besides that though, mate, I, I don't know. I tend to overpack with a lot of hunting trips, so it's not often I forget anything uh, massive. But yeah, I, I went for a weekend with my wife once and I forgot the bloody ammunition, so it was just me on the compound bow uh, <laughs> and we went hungry that weekend. <laughs> oh, spewing. Yeah, we've all, all been there and forgot something. What about the most important yeah. item you take out with you? Oh, man, I don't know. Like, we're talking like with the exception of, you know, like not going to just mention your bow or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, with the exception of, of those things. <laughs> yeah, honestly, mate, for me, um, it would be my camera. Like yep. if, I, if I went out, if I went out and I'd forgotten, say I went for like a proper, a week-long samba hunt as I tend to do every year, you know, and I'd gotten down to Vic and I'd realised I'd left my camera gear behind it. I would, I would really be spewing and my phone would do a decent job. But, um, like when I go on these, I mean, I'm not the most experienced Samba hunter by any means. I suck at Samba hunting, but I love going down there, backpacking in and just seeing some different country and half the fun, probably even more than half the fun, you know, two thirds of the fun for me is just taking photos of the country and showing my friends and family, the places I've been and the stuff I'd seen. And yeah, if, if I hadn't had my camera, man, I'd, I'd be I'd be spewing. So I would say that's probably my most important bit of gear. No, that's a that's a really good good answer. What about sketchy, dangerous thing that's happened to you when you've been out? Oh man, um, <laughs> I don't I don't think I've ever told this story on a podcast, um, <laughs> and I try and keep it shortish. But every time I think about this, I feel sick. And um, it was just when the the drought was lifting. So it was probably January 2020. And my wife and I had gone out for an afternoon hunt on a place, uh, like a, a pretty local property, humongous mountains. And yeah. um, there was potentially, like there was a shower, a potential shower forecast. But again, January 2020, like everything's dri- like bone dry. We're thinking, oh, it won't be that big a deal. We parked the ute up gone for a walk for the afternoon and in the process of going for the walk, a storm dumped on us. And I think it was about 13 mil, which, you know, 13 mil anywhere, it's not going to make or break a a hunt um, for most of the places that we go. But uh, because there was no grass on the place, it kind of just washed a heap of this topsoily stuff down the mountain and had it settle on a part of on uh, the whole track yeah. and made it just slick as. So we hopped in the car. Um, I just got like a, a 79 series Land Cruiser and started driving out and I just felt the back end of my car just pop out a little bit. And my wife's looked at me like, oh, that, that felt a bit ordinary. I'm like, oh, it's nothing, you know. Like we're not, I'm thinking about getting bogged. I'm not thinking about sliding down the mountain. And, uh, yeah, we kept going a little bit and my car slid off the track enough that I couldn't get it back up on there. So I wasn't oh, wow. 
I wasn't bogged, but I had no traction. And we tried to build up with a few rocks and sticks to try and get it back on the thing. And every time I tried to get a little bit more ground, I slid a little bit more to the side. And it was one of those places where if we, if we kept going, we would have absolutely rolled the car hundreds of meters down the bottom. Like it was a really big mountain. So I just said, no, screw this. We'll get out. We'll leave the vehicle here. It'll, you know, it'll be dry by lunchtime tomorrow. We'll be able to drive the car out of this bog. No worries. So walking back to the, um, walking back to the farmhouse and uh, my wife had already called a friend of hers to come out and meet us at the farmhouse and take us home. And I'd called the farmer and I don't, he's not a farmer that I um, know as well as other farmers, you know, so I wanted to try and be candid. So, Hey mate, you know, like we've got our car stuck. Please don't come and get us. I'm just letting you know, we're going to walk to your house and a friend's going to pick us up. We're back out in the morning. And he insisted he would come out and have a look. And I just said, mate, please, please do not do that. It's not going to end well. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. I'll come out and have a look anyway. I'm like, okay, right. And I'm thinking he's got a V8 Land Cruiser and I've only, you know, quote unquote, only got the 4.2 turbo and he had bigger tires. And I'm like, well, he knows his country better than I do, I suppose. So sure. What the hell? And um, he meets Kira and I on the track and he says, oh, we'll go and have a look at it. We'll get it out. And I think I just said to him, please don't, I don't, I don't want you to like, it's not the end of the world for us to come out here the next day. Um, anyway, yeah, we, we'd taken off. He got, he insisted we got in this car and then within a, I don't know, a couple hundred meters from my year, we started sliding down the mountain sideways perfectly sideways and i'm just like mate i I was i was screaming in the car like let us the f (laughs) out of this ute and he's and he's pulled the steering wheel right around so the ute was facing directly up the mountain he's buried his foot and uh the wheels were going forwards but we were still sliding backwards and he ended up you know he must have slid i don't know it might have been 30 or 40 meters down this mountain before we stopped and then he's just put the handbrake on and he's looked at us. He's gone, yeah, I think we are a bit stuck. Um, <laughs> and then we, yeah, we all walked back to the farmhouse. He made us a coffee and I called him the next day to say, we'll come out and get in my car. And he said he'd already driven mine out because it wasn't bogged, but he needed to um, get his daughter to help him get his vehicle out with a tractor. Uh, <laughs> but that was, that was by far the most scared I have ever been. I thought I'm going to die in this car with my wife rolling down a freaking mountain, you know, and I could have avoided it. Yeah. yeah that still a, makes me feel sick thinking about it. <laughs> that's yeah. a trippy thing with full driving. You get those, those moments where you're just like, uh, like, yeah, your heart starts racing yeah. and you get that frog yep. in your throat. And yeah, it, things oh, can turn pretty bad pretty just, quickly. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a very cautious full wheel driver. Like I don't, I don't tend to just say, oh, she'll be right and just go. I hate that. I hate the idea. Like, you know, I've got comprehensive insurance, but I hate the idea of, you know, burying my car in some river and then having to, you know, go through the rigmarole of getting insurance claims. I'm just, I'm not that kind of person. I don't get bogged very often um, because I'm so cautious. And man, even when I talk to friends about that story, you know, like I'm and Kira telling the story, like it's just, oh man, scary. So I'm glad it all ended (laughs) ended okay no it's it's good to hear that it ended okay and it's crazy how how quick those tracks can turn you know even um i went out spotlighting a month maybe two months ago with a couple guys from work and we'd been driving all these tracks all night and it got to you know 2 2 30 in the morning and 
it, the air must have been cool enough that the groundwater started seeping up a bit more and, um, you know, the sun during the day oh, it dried it all out. And then, yeah, just bogged straight away. And it's just like, hang on, we've driven through here like four times tonight with no issues. But, yeah, it just must be that, that cool air and bringing up the the groundwater and, you know, it, it, it getting getting a bit more damp because, you know, it's all... Yeah, it's it blew me away. I hadn't had that happen before. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it goes so bad so fast. You know, it's it you know, like you don't just get casually bogged. You know, you just be going and it's all good, and then all of a sudden it's just not, and then you're stuffed. And then it's I hate making it a problem for somebody else. You know, that was what bothered me so much about this other situation. Like, I hate farmers thinking I'm a I'm a liability or I'm some kind of nuisance to them, which is why we were going to come out and get it the next day, you know, and the yeah. fact that he's trying to do the right thing and help out and it ended up making a massive problem for him. Jeez, I was dirty. Yeah, it, it does get like that. Lucky that that time we got bogged, we were coming into camp, so we're like 50, 50 metres yeah, from right. where we were camp, so we were able to reverse one of the other cars up in a drier spot and pull it out, but... Yeah, it's it's crazy how quick tracks and stuff can turn when it comes to full driving. Yeah. Like even, you know, yep. concealed rocks in grass and stuff. <laughs> I got got a yep. table topped on a rock not long ago out spotlighting. Rock came out of nowhere and had a, you know, few hundred meters walk back to the another car to go pull that out. <laughs> and that was the guys yeah. from work's first experience out spotlighting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that doesn't help. Yeah, uh, but it was it was a good laugh. Any anyhow, um, what about top five dream yeah. animals? What, like money, not a not an issue anywhere in the world. What would you chase? Where would you chase them? Money, money, yeah, money and tag drawing and all that not being an issue. I don't know if I'd be able to put them in any kind of order, but um, mule deer, elk, some kind of big horn sheep. Yeah. Um, and then maybe a Cape Buffalo and, uh, I don't know. There's so much awesome stuff out there, man. <laughs> maybe one of those, um, I've just, I've, the last couple of years, I've really got to think for some of these sheep. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe one of those like, uh, Marco Polo Rams in, um, in like those really high uh, mountains in like the Middle East or parts of Asia or whatever, they look pretty cool. Oh, they, but, those, um, those country, that country just looks insane. Yeah. Following uh, Ben yeah, Solaris' cool, story, but... chasing um, those sheep, oh. whatever he was chasing the other day, man, I was heartbroken. How good was it? Oh, so good. I'm like, yeah, I know. Even though it's just like Facebook, Instagram stories, you, you're there, there on edge <laughs> yep. watching it and hoping everything turned out well for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a heartbreaking I, like, hunt. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I reckon when I first really started getting into hunting, I would have gone to Africa 10 out of 10 times over North America. But yeah. now, um, I don't know, and it's like what I mentioned before, mate, like um, I'd, I'd love to do the moose and the elk and the bear and all that stuff, but I would almost have just as much fun, say, if a, a friend of mine drew a tag or – I knew somebody over there and they were just going for a moose hunt or an elk hunt. And I just got to go over there and just be the camera dude and then help um, butcher it up and hike it out. Like I'd absolutely love that. I just, the idea of the scenery and being able to take that all in, like uh, I'm not going to say that I would be 
just as happy to do that as I would be if I shot one myself. But um, I could quite happily go over there without a tag or without a bow, without a rifle and, just and, camera. and be a part of something like that. Yeah, I absolutely loved doing that. Yeah, that would be awesome. I got a mate who I hunted with in New Zealand this year. He's over in Colorado guiding um and that at the moment and just the the photos and stories he's he's posting up is oh, just nice. insane. I'm just like, "Oh, dreams." Yep. <laughs> what about you you Hell said yeah. you said Hell earlier yeah. that you uh do a fair bit of uh cooking um all the the game you live off of. But what's your favorite thing to cook with wild game? Ooh, man. Um, if you were to ask my wife, she'd say goat. I swear she would She would probably eat goat eight out of ten times over venison. Yeah. Um, and that's also just because the ones I'm, that we're bringing home to eat are the little ones. Like even uh, in summer, uh, maybe January or February this year, we it was her turn to shoot. We came across a big mob of goats and she emptied her – magazine of her rifle at him and shot all the really young nannies to eat and left all the big billies for me to chase with my bow another time which yeah, was beautiful. nice of her um yeah which was cool i mean like uh, i know that people like to say oh geez goat slow cooked in a curry it's really good and it's like it's it's just behind a bit of a cliche but man like there's just something about the the oily oiliness or the fattiness of the of the meat itself it's so much more forgiving to cook than venison. And I'm not talking bad about venison, you know, like we, we eat venison all the time. Um, but yeah, really enjoying the goat stuff at the moment. But um, I mean, are you after a specific animal or are you after a specific kind of like a recipe or a favorite cut or what? Yeah. Favorite, favorite dish that you, you cook with a specific animal. Um, a friend of mine likes to put it like, um, the queen's coming over. What are you cooking? And I would say steak Diane is my favorite thing to cook, favorite thing to eat. Um, yeah, like I, the first time I ever cooked dinner for my wife, it was steak Diane. Um, <laughs> I just find it's – I mean, I think it's it's supposed to be named after the goddess of the hunt or whatever anyway, and I, and I love a lot of different preparations. But if I've got um, – yeah, some steak Diane, whether it be with a venison backstrap or sometimes I'd use wild pork or goat or whatever, and I've got some really crispy baked potatoes and some um, steamed broccoli or whatever on the side and a lot of sauce on there. Man, I'm happy. Very, very happy, man. That sounds beautiful. So coming up to the end of the um, podcast now, how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? I mean, it's, uh, I think about this a lot and uh, when I write my columns and stuff, I, I comment on it a lot because it's it's not like I'm, I lose sleep over it, but I'm, you know, I'm a rural person. I've lived rurally uh, majority of my life. I have lived in cities before, but something that I talk about with friends and family a lot is the how there's just a massive disconnect um, between like, a lot of this rural kind of stuff in Australia and, and the other side of things and how, uh, like I, in my line of work, I'm a school teacher. I, I come across yeah. so many people who, um, they're based in Metro areas and that's all they know. And they've never been, you know, anywhere rural in Australia whatsoever. And I, and I find it a little bit sad that, uh, you know, they might be experienced travelers. They might've gone to 
whole bunch of cool places overseas or they experience a lot of culture in places like Sydney or Melbourne. But for me, uh, Australia, like, you know, the, the beating heart of Australia is not, you know, Sydney Harbour as cool as it is to go and have a couple of beers at Sydney Harbour. Like it's not the beating heart of Australia. And when we think about what Australia is, um, although the vast majority of our population lives on the coast, I get it. Uh, Australia for me is a, it's a rural place and uh, it's just, yeah, I have a really hard time dealing with that when we, you know, you live in these rural places, you've got friends who are farmers, you've got friends who are hunters. Um, they're, they're battlers in a lot of ways, but they're also very generous people in a lot of ways. And um, so many people in these kind of areas, it's, it's, it is genuinely a way of life, uh, yeah, whether we shoot it. stuff and need it. And that's what we do, or, or they're um, shooting kangaroos off their crops or they're trapping pigs or whatever it is, um, or they're raising cattle or raising sheep and they're going to abattoirs. It is genuinely a way of life. And I think, um, I don't know what the answer is. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over it, but um, I'm always concerned at that, that there seem to be like the majority of our population actually has no idea um, That's it. of what rural Australia is really about. It's like, I just find it sad more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree there. How would you change the public views on hunting and hunters if you could? Man, like I, I don't have like, I don't have a really big platform or anything, but I, I like to write articles. I like to, you know, be involved in other podcasts of um, uh, my friend Craig with um his TV show, The Season. Kira yeah. and I were on that, and like to feel like we played a a small part in in doing that. But if if I could um like wave a magic wand and have the general public, you know, like realize something that they didn't realize before, it would just yeah, it, it would it would be as simple as just um either exposing them to or providing more opportunities for them to see uh, or experience a lot more of what rural Australia is about. Um, because, yeah, you can you can essentially live in the middle of – I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know like even all listeners would be mad keen hunters, I'm sure, but it's just uh, not everybody has to be a hunter and not everybody has to be a farmer. And That's obviously it. the cities are important for a variety of reasons, um, but it's, it's crazy to me that uh, – there are people out there who, who don't even really drive past cows and sheep in paddocks very much, you know, like it, or know what know what farms are all about, or know just how uh, much of our economy revolves around things like farming and fishing and hunting and and that sort of stuff. So I I would just feel really good if there was more stuff happening or more opportunities for um, metropolitan people to be exposed to rural stuff, whether it's hunting or anything else that rural, rural life has to offer. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. And finally, what is hunting to you? Oh, man, it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm sure everybody has a hard time putting into words. Like it's uh, within reason, um, you know, and not including things like my family, it's probably the most important thing to me. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's just, um, it's just what I do really. Like, it's not like, uh, I don't make conscious decisions to engage in it. It's just like when I've got some spare time, it's what I'm doing. Yeah. And, um, 
I love being by myself in the bush. I love being with a bunch of my mates in the bush and, uh, I'm a very happy person and I, I really enjoy my life, but I hate to think the kind of person I would be if I didn't have the opportunities that I do to, um, uh, well, not just, not just hunt, but also, um, see, you know, like it's also a really, um, there's no better way to see Australia than to try and hunt as much of Australia as possible. You know, like yeah, as it. a New South Welshman, I can go to Victoria and I can go to Alpine National Park and say, yeah, I was in Alpine National Park. Cool. Do some four wheel drive tracks or walks and tracks, or I could go there and try and hunt a samba deer and, you know, have some dingoes come and bark at me or whatever, <laughs> you know, dingoes, wild dogs, whatever. Yeah. But uh, like that to me, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just the, the best way to, um, engage in in the country and the landscape really yeah there's no better way to see australia than that that's it so if people have enjoyed what they've they've heard tonight where can they find you on social media i'm sure they've probably already all fallen you anyway (laughs) because what you put out there is amazing (laughs) gee i appreciate that mate uh yeah look i'm I'm just a i just like my photos and if people are interested in anything i do uh, for whatever reason and yeah look me up on instagram at wilder life w-i-l-d-e-r-l-i-f-e or i'm on youtube as the wilder lifer um and it's i mean it's really just small time stuff but uh, i enjoy putting out stuff to help people or maybe just show people the kind of stuff that i get up to um and my wife as well you know it's not just about shooting stuff there's some cooking stuff and bit more lifestyle stuff, firewood cutting stuff and that's where you can find all that. Awesome. I'll I'll have to check that out. You know, I I listen to more podcasts and watch YouTube, so I'll have to make some time to scroll through your channel and have a have a good check out check out of it. But I really appreciate you no coming worries, on man. tonight. And um yeah, thank you very much for it being so last minute. <laughs> no, you're right, man. Thanks for having me on. It's nah. been good fun. All good. Thank you very much, mate. Have a good night. Cheers, bud. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting, fishing, and the outdoors. To stay connected with us and never miss out on an update, please be sure to follow us on social media, all at Hunting Connection Podcast. We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Together, we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.